2010s basically has has influenced bone season in a big way and in a way that uh, i think is to its detriment you can tell i mean like what we're saying it's it's aged a little bit poorly um and you know i i think that's why we have to kind of view it as a product of its times that doesn't mean it's immune from criticism but you know i think we should understand that you know there's a reason the way that the book is like this so uh-oh Oh, fuck. Yeah, so you made a great point. <laughs> that uh, you really do get sorted, don't you, Aaron? So let's let's take a let's take a quick quiz and see what kind of voyance we are, shall we? Welcome to Mortified, the Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations, all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron. And I'm a nice poltergeist. And this week, we talk amaratics and authorial intent with supernatural dystopian fantasy novel, The Bone Season. Before we get started, remember you can help us on Mortified, the Legitimacy Quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, signing up for our monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes, or following us on Twitter and Tumblr, at Mortified Pod. Layla. Aaron. So, tell me how you first discovered uh, author of The Bone Season, Samantha Shannon, and her uh, various works. Samantha Shannon wrote a thick-ass novel called The Priory of the Orange Tree in 2018. I do not remember how I came upon it. Um, 2018's kind of fuzzy for me. All I know is that was 700 pages. I really like the cover. And, um... I wanted to read more fantasy, and so I started to read it, and it was basically, um, I describe it to people as, like, Game of Thronesy, but if Game of Thrones was actually good, um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's more, like, multi-ethnic and, and just more inclusive. The main characters are gay, which we love, um, and I, it was so slow burning that it blindsided me. Like, I didn't realize that we were getting gay until we were, we were in the gay zone, mm-hmm. um, which was delightful to me. Um, I really loved it. And I knew she had this other big series she was writing, but I didn't realize, like I picked it, I picked up the first three books for $2 on, on Kindle and then just didn't read them for three years. Um, and now I'm on a quest to read all my unread pile. And so I started reading these books and I was like, boy, howdy, can you tell that she wrote this when she was 19? How fascinating. Yes. And I think that's probably going to be a lot of the discussion that we have about the bone season. Um, but yeah, that's that's what you wanted to recommend this series. And we haven't done a book in a while. Um, I think our last book was actually... Uh, I think our last book was the sequel to Six of Crows. Uh, gosh, what was that? Oh, Crooked Kingdom. Crooked Kingdom, thank you. Damn, um, has it really been since the Crooked Kingdom? I don't think we've been on a book in a long time. Um, <sighs> Damn, audience, we've... tell us books to read. Yeah, seriously. Um, but yeah, so this was, this was an interesting one. Um... I think that for a couple reasons, I want to preface, right, because of the the conversations that we had with uh, the, you know, Six of Crows series and how we came out really hard on, on the first one and then we're like, oh, we shouldn't have done that. Um, I will say that I did have did a difficult time giving uh, Bone Season a generous read. One, because I was um, doing, doing, I was having, I had a bit of a stressful week and also I was doing another long form thing with my other podcast. Uh, which uh, I'll plug at the end, but um, yeah, I was just trying to, to cover a lot of content, so I a little bit skimmed. Not, not I wouldn't say skim. I read the whole thing, but you know, I, I was kind of like trying to power through it, uh, and and to some degree that did did impact my enjoyment. But um, we'll 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 talk about it. Um, but I, I do want to say like uh, up front, these are the things that are biasing the way that I. Uh, read this book and so take whatever i say with a grain of salt because i I think there are definitely positives and negatives and on my end i am four books into this series so i am seeing it with the beautiful glow of improvement and where the series has gone now so that is biasing the way i'm going to talk about these books which i greatly am enjoying um but we will you know we'll yeah we'll get into it aaron Speaking of getting into it you want to summarize this beautiful my turn to do the plot summary in it um okay so, there is a 19-year-old girl in the year, uh, I want to say, is it 20, like, 
42 or something. It, it, 2040s, 2050s, sounds Yeah, like. it's, it's in, like, the, the 2050s, basically. Uh, Paige, our protagonist, um, lives in dystopian Britain. Uh, and some things you gotta know about dystopian Britain is that, one, ghosts are real. Uh, and two, people who can interact with these ghosts are called voyants. Uh, Paige is a voyant. She has a special power that allows her to basically project her spirit uh, out of her body and into other people's bodies. And that's cool. But in dystopian Britain, basically, uh, all the people who can see ghosts, voyants, are hunted by the government, which is called Scion. Um, and not like not like Zion, like the Zionist like Israeli movement, but Scion, like S-C-I-O-N, should be very clear about that. Um, but anyway, the gov- the evil British government's, uh, Scion is hunting voyants, and three, the government is controlled by god aliens called Rephites, is that? I Re- think so, Re- Rephites, yeah. um, who are, I, here's, first thing that I had a problem with was that I could not not picture them as, um, the Shinigami from Death Note, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, I know they're supposed to be humanoid. I know they're supposed to just be like really sexy humans. I thought every single one of them was a goddamn Shinigami. I was like, ah, that's that's not right. But, but I just I just kept thinking of them as like these terrifying alien monsters. Um, but their their whole deal is that they feed on the auras of voyance, um, and an aura is kind of like your. I mean, if you think of like traditionally like a like an energy that surrounds you, auras are are sort of like that in this world. But they also uh, allow you to you know sense other voyants and some people can see them and you can interact with them in fun ways um those are the basic uh world building notes you should know so basically Paige, our protagonist works for this crime syndicate um which is called the seven seals um but basically there's a bunch of like really powerful voyants uh running around in in, in london um, but basically one day, one of her, you know, a job goes wrong. Uh, she gets caught by Scion, basically. Um, the first time that she actually uses her power to kill someone. Um, and she gets taken to Shale One, which for all intents and purposes is a concentration camp. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, this, you know, content warning for a lot of stuff, which we will include in the episode description, but we're going to get fucking into it. Uh, and, and you can see why I'm a little bit uh, sketchy or skittish about about this book. But basically, they go to Shield One, which is a concentration camp for voyants that is in Oxford, um, the college. That's now a concentration camp, uh, and she is imprisoned there. Uh, there, she is taken as a personal slave, more or less, by um, one particular uh, Rephaite who is um, Arcturus Masarthim. We're just going to call him Warden because that's what he asked Paige to call her. Um, and he's really powerful. And he is uh, engaged to be married to, it's, I believe it's Nashira Sargus, right? Nashira is the bad guy? Yes. Okay. Um, and she runs Sheol one, right? What's her What's her deal? Yeah, so she's like a uh, queen of the Rephaites. Ref- oh, so she, she runs, she controls all of the Rephaites then. Um, her and a couple, like two others. It's like a, it's like a three-way it's like, power split. Yeah, like her, her family is the Sargasses are like really powerful. Yes. Uh, um, but yeah, so she's like a big shot. Uh, and at first it seems like um, Warden is like a real dick to Paige because he's just like, oh, you have to obey everything I say, and um, you know you got to do all these evil tests. Um, and slowly though, he teaches Paige how to use her uh, psychic ability to throw her spirit out of her body. Um, and, and, like, helps her become, like, pretty good at fighting. Um, Paige also makes friends with the other, with, like, some people who are also in prison there, like, the, um, the non-voyants, which they they call amorotics, um, which are just, like, normies, um, and Harleys, which are voyants who have to do circus tricks, that's why they call them Harleys, Har- Harlequins, they basically just, like, dance for the, the Rephaites entertainment, um, and, uh, basically she's just like, wow, I, I thought I had it bad, but these people are, you know, living in squalor and, and, and are being tortured and it sucks. Um, so she hates that and she's like, okay, I got to get out of here. I don't, I don't like this. Um, but basically, uh, it's revealed that Nashira wants to basically kill Paige once Paige has mastered her, her abilities, um, her dream walking abilities is what they call them. And 
kill her because Nishira's ability is that she could take other people's abilities, which seems OP, but whatever. <laughs> um, Nishira, I like Nishira a lot. I think Nishira might be my favorite character because she does have five guardian angels, which is really cool. Um, but anyway, that's that's Nishira's whole motivation. Um, and then basically what happens is that Paige and Warden save each other a few times because Warden, it turns out, was a part of like this other uprising during one of the previous bone seasons uh side note a bone season is what happens every 10 years they take all the emeroticks that have been imprisoned in, in london and take them over to oxford uh so they have a new crop of um sl- slaves basically um to to do to do labor to oh protect them against the amim which are the big zombies um and that's that's their whole deal uh, but in the end, you know, Warden and Paige learn to trust each other. They uh, team up. They they basically are able to take down Shield One and and escape with a lot of the uh, people who had been imprisoned there. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's how the book ends. Yeah, that was a pretty pretty thorough summary um, of of that uh, lovely novel. I want to talk about our girl Paige Mahoney. <sighs> Yeah, let's let's talk about Paige. So Paige is 19. Um and she has a bit of Kaz Brecker energy in that she is um ex- highly competent, very deadly. Can um she's not quite as self-serious as Kaz, which I kind of appreciate, but she is like somebody who at 5 years old was like taken to an Irish um like uh, rebels meeting and like what witness her cousin get killed in cold blood um so like has a sad backstory um like is pretending to be working at like an oxygen bar but is in fact um doing all these like weird criminal things with her terrible terrible uh, gang friends um and like she has this whole secret life um you know it, it's very i mean i mean page is very is characterized in a way that she's like um, very much like strong, strong female protagonist. I, I, I don't think that's an unfair characterization. Um, and again, this was written in 2013 when, when this sort of thing was a little bit all the rage. Um, you know, think, think your Katniss Everdeen's and your whoever Shailene Woodley played in, in that movie. Um, but like, you know, she, she's of that type. Um, I think she's a little bit, um, more grounded and, and a little bit more more competent i feel like she's more confident in her her skills and abilities but also definitely has this like terrible dependent relationship with her boss um which sucks ass uh and she's also in love with this uh 28 year old um swedish doctor guy who saved her once it's uh, it's it's a lot but um that being said i, I like Paige. <laughs> she's fine yeah, Paige is, uh, uh, there were moments in these books where I was reading and Paige would do something and there's, I, there's this, like, honor student, holy shit, don't break the rule reflex in me where I was like, ah, oh, don't do that. <laughs> like, she, like, Warden was like, don't touch me. And then she went and bandaged him up. I was like, ah, he's going to kill you. He didn't, which was nice. Um, but, you know, it's just, she's very, um, she is, a, I think you're, you nailed it. She's like of that, like, Katniss Everdeen era of female protagonist, but I will say only for the first couple of books she does kind of level out um, in three and what I've read of four so far. Um, she's a delight. She's great. Uh, she's a mess, and I I respect that. I respect a, a girl who is ready to be a mess for a cause. Um, Warden. So <laughs> listen, I struggle with Warden. A tiny bit because um i love that he's mean at first right he's mean to protect her right he's he's nashira's uh blood consort blood consort yes he's her fiance basically and yeah. the reason he's her fiance is because he's rebelled against her before so she tortured him and then bound him to her as a punishment um as like a show of power on her end and uh He's just this, like, dark academia sad boy, which you would think appeals to me, and it does, but I cannot get over the fact that his girlfriend was started out as his prisoner. 
Like that <laughs> still that still gets me a little, even though there's a whole novella of them being very hilariously domestic together. Um, wherein he does make her soup, but because they don't eat food, he didn't know to spice it. So it was really bland, if well-prepared soup. And she was like, mmm, soup. And she didn't, she didn't want to tell him because she felt bad. And then later he was like, I know you didn't like the soup. <laughs> I, I wasn't, like, proud of making it. I was laughing at the fact that you were forcing yourself to eat the bad soup. Can you teach me how to use pepper? And she was like, fucking fine. Um, so that shit gets me. I, I love that for them. But I do all the time think, hmm. She was your prisoner for a bit there. <laughs> yeah. The, so I had actually started reading this a month ago. Um, and I stopped at the point where um, she like passed her second test or whatever. And they literally branded her with a number. And I was like, Layla, there is a lot of Holocaust imagery in this. And I don't like it. Uh, and you were like, you're not wrong. <laughs> You're not wrong. You have to remember, I ate these books in, like, two or three days, like, three of them, because they all came in a pack for me, and I didn't know where one started and one ended, so I just kept going. Um, Wild. So, <laughs> ADHD can sometimes be a weapon uh, and not, not a hindrance. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the Holocaust imagery, thankfully, she does not make a return. Yeah. Um, her brand, I don't think her brand's been, like, brought up since i think we're trying to quietly forget about it yeah no i i think you'll have a better insight into that um but yeah like there is some age stuff like he's technically 200 or a thousand years old i don't know he's old as shit basically um so like you know there's that fantasy thing where like it's weird if there's somebody who is you know like a literally a thousand years old but like at least they're not i mean i don't know he does look like just like a human he does look like a young human so it's not the thing in um the most recent example of this trope is um fire emblem three houses where the one like dragon lady or i don't know not that that's the pope that's the dragon pope but the the one goddess shows up and she she's like a thousand years old but she's also like a dateable option and she looks like a child it's fucking gross um but anyway like like that's a trope and i'm glad that this they don't they don't lean too much into it they don't bring up how much older uh warden is as compared to Paige, which i kind of appreciate she's not attracted to him because he's older as opposed to her relationship with nick which i think is is much weirder and bad um which we'll talk about here in a sec but overall like i i do buy the relationship of that page and warden develop because um shannon does go and take the time to like you know that they like warden explicitly says like okay yeah so i've been like invading your dreams and reading your thoughts and i know all your memories and then Paige is like hey what the fuck and she gets really mad but then he's like okay so in order for us to trust each other i'm just gonna let you you know invade my mind and if you'd like you know you you could theoretically just like explode my brain i don't think you're gonna do that um, but I'm going to give you that option. Um, and like, I thought that was very good. There's, there's a moment where he like ties her hair. And I think that that's a very nice moment. Um, and, and I do, I do buy the relationship between them, but there are some impediments with a capital I that cannot be ignored. Yeah. Again, this was written by a 19 year old who planned a seven book series. And this is one of those areas where you can really feel that. Um, but it's okay. I do like Warden. Um, I don't love Warden, but I do like him. Um, mm-hmm. Jackson Hall. That's okay, a, Jackson so, Hall's a character with a capital C. Am I right? I fucking I basically hate everybody who is in her, in the syndicate. I don't I don't I haven't met any of them in. So this is already getting into like how the book is written, but like we don't see Jackson Hall like in in the current timeline of the book. F- except for, like, maybe three chapters. The rest are are flashbacks. This book is very flashback-heavy, often alternating between Paige in, you know, in Shale versus Paige back in her time in the Syndicate. And I don't think that's necessarily uh, a storytelling foible, right? But um, it it does show kind of, like, it is kind of... um, you know, a weakness to lean on that level, that kind of storytelling, uh, unless you're doing it intentionally and trying to be like, okay, here's the first half of, you know, 
this story, here's the second half, and this is where they converge. Like, I, I think it is weird just to be like, I have to u- keep using flashbacks to fill in all the context for why this character cares about these things, as opposed to just starting from the beginning where the character would have cared about the things and then going forward. Um, but like, maybe that's not the kind of story that Shannon wanted to tell, and I completely get that. But I do think it, it is the mark of uh, a writer who is a little bit inexperienced. Um, and um, I, I think that... Right. So like her relationship with Jackson is um, like maybe the biggest example of that because she is constantly like, oh, I have to protect the seven seals. I have to protect Jackson. You know, he'd be so mad at me. I got to do all these jobs for him. You know, he's going to be so disappointed. I wonder if he's missing me. Well, like the whole time, you know, I, I think Shannon consciously shows us that. Jack sucks shit. Uh, he fucking sucks. Like, there's a scene where they're like, hey, we're bringing in some of our new gang members, and in order to do that, we're basically just going to shoot spirit energy balls at them for, like, hours and hours and hours. And it's just like, why does anybody work for this guy? Why don't they murder him straight up? Because he seems like he sucks. Um, and I, I I don't like him. About, like, midway through the week, I did send you... Um, I think this, this boils down to this... Um, so, Samantha Shannon's on Tumblr. You can, like, go ask her questions. She's very receptive. Um, very, very like, nice person to talk to. Um, and she did, uh, somebody asked her if Paige was, um, assaulted in the book. Uh, and she is, uh, it's not the worst kind of assault you can think of, but, you know, it's, it's, it's very graphic and it's not fun to read. Um, and with regard to that, Samantha Shannon said that if she had written Bone Season Now, obviously, there would be, it would be different. Um, and I think that speaks to both the structure of it, considering there is a prequel novella she ended up writing. Um, I think maybe more of that would, would have been included in the first, like, installment as, as like, a real portion of it. And that's me speculating. And then the other thing she said was that, you know, um, Paige displays a lot of, like, internalized misogyny. And there was a lot of things she wrote that, f- that were... Um, things she thought were supposed to be in fantasy. So, like... If you're writing fantasy, a woman's going to get assaulted. That's just, like, a part of the genre. And I think part of that is having, like, a shitty boss, too. Because I don't think there was enough... um, There wasn't really, like, thought put into, like, oh, like, why would she stick around except out of fear? Um, Because it's just, like, what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to write a shitty boss and, like, a found family. Um, I like Jackson's theatricality a lot. He's very Mm -hmm. weird. And I like a weird dad, like a weird dude. He's just odd. Um, he, he listens to, like, classical music, he books cigars, and drinks absinthe. Like, he's very much a caricature of a mob boss, and it's kind of on purpose. <sighs> I think he gets deployed better in the later books because he gets worse. Interesting. Uh, yes, he gets so much worse, and I love it. He's a he's a very convincing antagonist. Um, yeah. I just, again, to make the Kaz Brecker comparison, I think he is Kaz Brecker without any of the heart, right? Kaz is kind of like a, a shitty uh, boss of a, of a of a you know crime ring, but he cares about the people that work for him. Whereas I didn't see anything that suggested Jax gave a shit about anyone except for himself. Um, so I, you know, well, I, maybe we'll see. But like that's, I mean, it seems like that's the point. Yeah. So like, ugh. yeah. I, no, he does not give a shit about anybody but himself, and like, and it gets so much more obvious, and it gets so much more like. I don't know, I, I, I really, I think that one of the reasons I wanted us to read this book was because I did end up reading three of them, and I thought it would be <laughs> very interesting to come in with, without you having the context of the other two, because um, Samantha Shannon improves as a writer at, like, a breakneck pace. Um, <laughs> yeah. Each book is better than the next by a wide, wide berth. And, like, again, I found her through The Priory of the Orange Tree, which is one of my, like, top five favorite books of all time. And the only reason I have not tried to get us to read it for this podcast yet is because it is 700... 700 pages, yeah. Yes, we are not able to do that as adults. So, um, you know, I just... It, it was It's so interesting even looking back between books because, like... There is such a quick maturing of, like, both the deployment and the ideas that she was throwing around. And the thing that made the Bone Season, with all its flaws, compelling to me was that she was throwing out so many ideas. Like, there was no, um, even if they relied on tropes of the genre for the time, like, 
it's still like, ah, London's a citadel, and there's god aliens, and everyone's, uh, uh, there's clairvoyance, and ghosts, and uh, sometimes the ghosts possess people, and they can do paintings really good. It's, like, wild, and it was so much fun to read, because I'm like, wow, this is really a 19-year-old just saying, like, yeah, fuck it, no, we're going for this, and I'm committing to seven books of this, which is incredibly bold. I love that for her. Um, but yeah, yeah, Jackson sucks. Um, so aside from the age gap, how do you feel about Nick? I mean, he seemed nice. Um, like it, it, he's, he's a, he's a doctor who saved Paige the one day when she was getting attacked by a, um, a poltergeist, I guess. Um, and like, she like fell in love with him as, as, as a very young child. And you know, he's like been with her, for for many many years um he he seemed nice but like uh in offense like like he he serves the role in, in this era's like love triangle as the soft boy who you know is is like your childhood friend who who is always there for you and and um i don't know that he has much of a personality outside of page, the personality that Paige projects onto him. And if that's intentional, I think that's very interesting. But I, I do think that just because there are so many other characters uh, Shannon has to juggle here, I do think Nick comes off as kind of being a little bit one note. I do think it's a interesting and smart maneuver to have him like accidentally reject Paige like you know in her like most her her darkest memory basically the one that she shares to show warden he can trust her um like when when she recounts the the story of him like revealing that he's actually in love with this other guy uh and then her having this full-blown meltdown because she's like oh yeah he was never he never gave a shit about me or not never gave a shit about you but like he was never in love with you um and like that i think that is smart and interesting besides that i i think he is just um you know, a love object that uh, I, I feel probably will, will almost certainly get fleshed out in more books. That's why you have other books. But for this first time, it was it was just kind of like an idealized uh, love interest, and you know, he's he's fine. Yeah, it's interesting. Again, it, it's interesting to see how these characters get lived in, because you get Nick in like a present day interactive sense, and he becomes a much more like. Um, he's a little withdrawn, he's a little, um, he definitely cares about Paige, but he's very practical, he's very, like, um, uh, he borders on anxious sometimes, he's very, kind of a nervous man, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it, but it is, I think, a good move to have had him reject her on accident, because he never saw her as a love interest, which makes Mm -hmm. the, uh, the, um, unrequited love on her end less uncomfortable for me, because, like, you know, listen, kids right like <laughs> yeah i mean i think i don't know there's there i i this is making a wild assumption but there were definitely people in my high school who were like oh this really young teacher is super hot and they were all like 17 and 18 and i was like you know that's not a great age difference but like you know they're your kids you're gonna crush on people who are older than you and like it's the per- responsibility of the older person to reject those advances um and like you know but, like, I, I agree that it is wise for him just to be like, oh, I was never even thinking of you as a love interest. We had a math substitute when I was oh my in God. grade. A long-term math substitute. And I, listen, I, deep dark secret, I used to pretend to have crushes on the people all my classmates had crushes on just so, like, nobody would ask any questions oh. about, like, why I wasn't interested in a lot of boys at the time. I just, like, came into it late. Like, I didn't really care. Um... And so I'd be like, yeah, super hot. And you're so right. They were not. They were fine. Um, <laughs> certainly not my type of, of person. Um, but, God, everyone had such a crush on him. And all the girls would be trying to flirt with him in math class. We were sophomores. So we were 15. He was definitely 28 at the time. So, like, yes. <laughs> that shit yeah. happens all the time. Because... When you're, you know, for between the ages of, like, 15 to 19, you just have protagonist syndrome. You know what I mean? That's extremely true. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, don't, you're not the protagonist. Just listeners, if you are, you know, in your teens, I don't know that the, anybody who listens to us in our their teens, but if you are in your teens, um, you're very important, don't get me wrong, but you should not behave in the way that a protagonist of a YA or any novel behaves, um, because that's, that's not, that's no good. Aspire to be a featured NPC. 
Um, That's the way I live my life every day. (laughs) (laughs) Or, hey, listen, if you scientifically can prove to me that you're the protagonist and I should just, like, retire to full NPC-dom, let me know. Make my life easier, okay? Yeah, I'll sell you you rare items or some shit. It'll be cool. Yeah, I'll Um, be a baker. Um, So write me a love letter to Nashira Sargas. (laughs) Nashira Sargas is, you know, she's a mean woman, so already, you know, cool points. Um, She is described as being, like, looking like a like a daisy which i appreciate um because this is a from what i can tell a a very english person heavy book i mean all the prisoners are are being taken from london so a lot of them are white people presumably um i'm just just glad that there's more i want more mean daisy women in media frankly um but uh i mean like she's just like really cool she has like cool power she she you know kills kills people like like she gets her her angels by like murdering somebody and then like binding them to her and like that's that's really fucked up um and you know she you know i i love i love a, a unrepentant angry woman who's just like i'm gonna i'm gonna torture this man who betrayed me um that's i mean that's just what feminism's about basically yeah um you know i'm a i'm a person who does a lot of shit out of spite a lot of i'm i'm you know, most of my, like, career and personal advancement has been out of spite. Um, the confidence it requires for it to bind not five angels and one other alien demigod that hates you to you to spite their spite, that's admirable. That is feminism, you know? Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that energy for her. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other characters of note that are, like... There's a couple other, like, smaller characters um, that are important. It's like, Liz is one of the Harleys, and, and Paige gets really attached to her, and, you know, she's they, they kind of help each other out a lot. Um, there's this cool old man who runs an apothecary and just, like, blackmails everyone constantly. Love that energy for him. Um, and there's a couple other, like, um, Rephaim who uh, are either Sargasses or you kind of learn later on that some of them are sympathetic to the Rebellion and, and you know... Uh, so there's a wide cast of characters, a lot of people, but uh, the the five we covered are, are kind of the biggest uh, pieces on the board there. Um, do we want to talk about how 2013 this book is? I feel like we've... Yeah, we've alluded to it, but like, again, right, this is, a, this is like, like, dystopias were like such a huge thing. Um, I think we could probably cite that Sarah Zed video that talked about uh, the era of uh, teen dystopias. Um, but like, th- th- you know, like, like we said, Hunger Games, uh, Divergent, um, you know, and that this, the post Harry Potter era, essentially, um, where, where we have a bunch of like young, young women, uh, you know, trying to overthrow governments. Right. Um, and that's, that's cool. We love overthrowing governments. Um, but like, it was still kind of in this, this era in the ways that we talked on the internet where like Tumblr, had not like fully hit full social justice warrior like you know when you know when Tumblr becomes quote unquote you know like the 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 place where all the SJWs go or whatever right we weren't having this conversation about um, like the ways in which media should portray people and and behave in the same way online um, or at least I'm sure they were like I don't want to generalize but like people who are probably Samantha Shannon's age at the time she wrote this I mean you know when I was in 2013 I was in 2013 I was also 19 um okay I didn't <laughs> are you okay uh, no I didn't realize I'm Samantha Shannon's age that sucks yeah uh, uh, <laughs> But like, yeah, like I, you know, I wasn't, I was certainly not a very progressive person in, in 2013, despite being, you know, somebody who, you know, w- wanted to be, you, you know, w- wanted the best for marginalized people. You know, I, I think that's, that's a project that we have to go and work on every day. But like, the, I, I did not have the language in the same way that uh, I do now, just because of the circles that I run in. Um, and, and I think that like, you, you can see where leaning into things such as um the the ways in which shale is very like horrible um you know where this is a place where you know people could be you know tortured and um you know you are you are put into your your cast based on your jacket 
right? Like if you're a red jacket, you're like the cream of the crop. But if you're like a yellow jacket, that means you you ran and you're um you know you're gonna get fed to the the zombies or whatever, um, right? It has so much of that DNA of that like you know sorting like based into your class because there's also amrotics are not amrotics but voyants also have like a million different categories of of like what they are so it's like okay you could be x type of a voyant and i i I don't think shannon does that as much here right i don't think it's it's the similar to divergent where it's like okay here's five different uh types uh, of like you know house you can be in essentially and like you know custom made for a buzzfeed personality quiz i think that shannon kind of um is not writing for that audience but you can see that there's a lot of that DNA and you can see that there's a lot of like grimdark stuff that, um, you know, comes over from that, you know, that late 2000s era. Um, and, you know, I, I shouldn't say that grimdark is a thing of the past, right? I love, I love the Poppy War, which is a very grimdark series, but um, you can definitely tell so much of the, the media that, you know, we were talking about in, in the early 2010s basically has has influenced bone season in a big way and in a way that i think is to its detriment you can tell i mean like what we're saying it's it's aged a little bit poorly um and you know i i think that's why we have to kind of view it as a product of its times that doesn't mean it's immune from criticism but you know i think we should understand that you know there's a reason the way that the book is like this so uh-oh Oh, fuck. Yeah, so you made a great point. <laughs> that uh, you really do get sorted, don't you, Aaron? So let's let's take a let's take a quick quiz and see what kind of voyance we are, shall we? Okay. Well <laughs> First published anonymously in twenty thirty one. Great. <laughs> the first question is which Hamilton <laughs> character do you identify most with? <laughs> Okay. <gasps> the like fourth question is for us specifically. Hell yeah, there we go. We got the six of crows reference. Mm, fucking right on the money. Right on the money. 100%. Okay, I've got mine. All right, so do I. Aaron, so- what kind of voice are you? <laughs> so I'm an auger. Mm-hmm. Uh, in life, you sometimes feel underappreciated and unrecognized for your talents and abilities. You're generally easygoing and don't stress over messes, but you like the details as opposed to the big picture. Uh, augers use elements to read signs. Um, and I guess they're divided into common and vile classes, which is very funny. Um, auger auras are blue. Blue is my favorite color. Yeah, I guess I'm an auger. I'm a jumper. I'm overflowing <sighs> with potential, whether I always feel that way or not. I can be persuasive. Um, and apparently I'm the highest of all the orders. <laughs> Look at me. Wow. Um, I can affect and enter the aether without using objects or elements. So um, you're you're um you're a page. page. Yeah, a page. congrats. You got you got you fucking nailed the protagonist. <laughs> yeah. So you know, maybe I am the protagonist. Um so, you know, feel free to send me, sell me your <laughs> rare items here and whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, uh, delightful. But you're right in that this series doesn't really lean on those categorizations as much. And I think one of the really clever things that Samantha Shannon did was um, the publishing of the um, Seven Orders, or like whatever the fuck, Jackson's pamphlet, uh, on the merits of unnaturalness, which Samantha Shannon actually published. And, and if, you know, readers, if, if you're interested, you could go actually read the pamphlet that Jackson wrote. Um, on the merits of unnaturalness, when it was published and it described the, like, orders of voyance, was, um, let's say, deeply upsetting to the way things were being run. So, like, the... Um, way voyance the introduction of categorization to voyant culture was an upset in a bad way so i thought that was very interesting um an interesting take on on the um trope of the time yeah yeah no it's nice to be like yeah actually everybody hates being categorized because it sucks shit um which is uh which is nice considering considering the media that was coming out with but yeah um you know, and also we, we've alluded to this before, but like Shannon, uh, right, I, I can't speak to the quality of the other books. This is the only Shannon, Samantha Shannon book I've read. 
but like uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised that the the type of writing um, you know both both the quality and the ideas that are coming out and the ways that they are deployed um, improved because like um, this book does one of the things that I hate in fantasy, which is like here's a bunch of nouns, and none of the nouns are gonna make fucking any sense to you. You're gonna have to read the whole goddamn book for you to understand half of them. But like you know, especially in the first act, it's just like here's all the orders of voyance. Here's all the different street names in fucking um, Sheol One. Here's all the buildings. You know, here's a bunch of characters that you don't have any context for. Um, and like that, that always uh, I struggle with that because it's like uh, by the end I don't know. Like, I was getting various characters confused. And again, I, I read, you know, 60% of this book over the course of three days, which, you know, for me is quite a lot. Um, so so that is definitely a, could be a flaw on my, my end as a reader. But, like, I, I did find that there were some characters who just didn't have strong enough characterization, like uh, Julian. I think he was uh, a friendly uh, bone or bone grubber the red red jacket right um but like maybe not because there's also another one maybe no michael was the this the amorotic who who was nice and there's also somebody who was like an agent of of the government the english government like there's a bunch of just like rando names that got thrown around and um you know, because life is so nasty, British and short in shale one, like some of them got whacked pretty early. And I was like, well, I'm not going to remember like Seb, for instance, I, I thought it was very strange. The emphasis that they put on Sebastian, who is a, it was a normie character who gets killed in the first act. Um, and like comes in at the very end, like page has to calm his spirit in order to get through this lock. Um, and like I didn't, I don't understand why Seb was so important to Paige. I, I think that some of the relationships that she forms with various people here are a little bit. There's a little bit too much emphasis on them. I don't really buy that Paige would care about them um, as much as as she seems to. But yeah, I, I mean, you could tell that this was this is a product of somebody who. Um, doesn't have that much experience writing. Um, that's not to say that Samantha Shan isn't talented. I think this is a very well-written book as far as, like, if you were 19 and wrote, writing this book, you know, that's pretty darn good. Um, it definitely has some, some you know, uh, amateur moves in it, but these are those are moves that I, as a, as a somebody who's been trying to write professionally for four years, still make. Right? I, there's a lot of use of the, the passive voice. Um, but like, you know what? I think more people should just say, and then this was like this. Um, if we could all use was more, I would appreciate that in writing. Um, but yeah, I, I think Layla, you could probably speak to the ways in which, um, you know, Shannon's writing has, has developed over the course of, you know, several other books. Yeah. I think if Samantha Shannon is the master of anything, it's the master of just like continuing to write more. Like she has pumped out four. she's working on the fifth bone season book out of seven <laughs> And uh, she's concurrently working on a prequel to Priory, which is about as long as Priory, uh, which is another <sighs> 750 pages, which I will be reading. Thank you, Shannon. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that's the, like, as a, an artist myself, like, you just have to keep practicing and then you'll, you'll get it. And I think, um, like, 19-year-old Samantha Shannon never for once, like, stopped writing. Not in a, not in a, uh, you know, obviously you should take breaks and sometimes you have to put things down and walk away from them. But uh, Smith Shannon, our age, has been writing consistently for, you know, those nine years. And again, I found her through Priory, which she wrote four years ago. And like, I did not think I was going to have the energy to make it through a 750 page book. I think I did it in two and a half days. Like I truly just sat there and ate it. It It, it is a, she's, she's really got a, um, a beautiful way of world building. She's really gotten the pacing down. Um, a lot of the character relationships are so much more um, fleshed out, and, and she's she's much choosier about the way characters relate to each other now. Like it's not like Paige is just you know trying to get to know everyone all at once, and um, you know the the relationships have really scoped down, and the worlds have really scoped up, and I think it's a really nice balance. Um, instead of there being kind of a lot of everything all at once. But again, like, I really wanted this to be a study in an author's, like, first published book because um, 
if there's anything I've, I've kind of learned over the years, it's that anyone can get published. Anyone <laughs> can be a professional creative if they just like work hard enough and, and, and don't give up. Like the only time mathematically that you will not succeed at something is if you stop trying. Um, mathematically speaking, you will find some success um, if you just kind of keep going. I am a testament to that. I have never stopped trying once in my life and I am doing all right at this point in my life. Um, I want to... Publishing is a little bit different. Um, Samantha Shannon got this book published because she got hired by a literary agent. Um, all right. So well, like, listen, listen <laughs> I'm not saying that she's not talented, but she had an in and that, that does change things. It does change things. And I mean, I'm not saying it's not equal luck, equal parts luck and perseverance because it is, but you have to be persevering in the craft in order to get lucky. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. That's, yes, that's what I'm talking about. You okay. have to keep going and, and it is a much higher, you have much more luck with getting lucky if you keep trying and not yes. if you passively wait. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I am a testament to getting lucky is what I meant. I, I, I have been in um, the right place at the right time um, because I have not given up on trying to be in the right place in the right time. Um, yeah, I just don't want to give anybody the illusion that the publishing industry is fair. Um, um no industry is fair. Yeah, let's get that out there. <laughs> that's not fair. a single, um, I come from the visual arts, not a fair industry at all. Um, yes, no, I'm not trying to be naive here and say, if you, you can do anything, if you keep trying, that's, yeah. the yeah. world is a cruel and, and, and strange place. But if you keep pushing, the chances of you finding an opportunity are, are greater than if you don't. Yeah. Um, and, um, right. So the thing, it, it is a study in somebody being at the right place at the right time, having an in and then keeping it up and, and, and mm -hmm. really like dedicating time into, um, like really improving their craft in a very visible way. And I think the reason I wanted to talk about this is because, um, we talk a lot about like high budget, high uh, production value things on this show, and it's not that this book isn't, but I think um, as we've been doing Mortified more and more, I think we've gotten nicer about the way we talk about things because we have a much, much greater sensitivity to the like human element of creating something. And, um, you know, it's just nice to like look upon somebody I already know has improved and who has, has improved just by way of like getting bigger and, and bigger book deals. Um, though that's not always a testament to, to improvement, but you know, sometimes, um, in this case, I would say it is. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I just wanted it to be like a case study, like a little bit of a time capsule, not to necessarily a period of time in writing, though it kind of ended up being that, um, but to a point in somebody's authorial career. Um, cause it's interesting. It's, it's interesting to see how people, um, some people are determined to improve their craft continuously, and some people just kind of do their same old thing and just keep trying to beat a dead horse while it still coughs up money. And Stephen King. Anyway. Anyway. Um, so, <laughs> uh, but I, I think that's that's also an interesting point because, like, not only has Shannon been able to, you know, develop her craft, but also she's been able to look back and say, you know, this the I made choices in that book that I wouldn't make now, um, you know, specifically with that that sexual assault um, scene, right? And I think we talk a lot about how, like, authors, you know, this is this is death of the author conversation coming up, but like, there is, you know, I, I think that is completely valid to look at a piece of media and say, you know, without reading anything else, if you take it as an isolated piece, you have to say, okay. Here are my criticisms of this piece. Here's what I liked. Here's what I didn't like. I think that it is a valid way to read media. But I think also if if we are as, you know, quote unquote critics, you know, going to look at a piece of media, we aren't afforded that, you know, it, we, I, we aren't afforded that, period. Because like, if the author is still talking, I think we do have to include some of that in the conversation. Um, and I like, you know, the most famous examples, of course, um, turf rowling being, you know, making Dumbledore rec retroactively gay and like that not showing up in any, not only does it not show up in the books, but it doesn't show up in any of her subsequent media, right? I think that's something that you can absolutely criticize. And I think that this is kind of the opposite of that, where it's like, okay, I made it instead of I didn't make a choice, it's I did make a choice that I would not do again. 
And I am presuming that there's not a whole lot of objectionable content like that in future books. And based on your enjoyment of them, it seems like there isn't. And I, I think that is a really good thing. Like, you know, I think that there is a lot of stuff about how like authors tweet too much and, you know, they, you know, they can, they can hurt themselves by, by tweeting as opposed to not tweeting. But I think there is a lot be a lot of good that can come from an author looking at a piece of criticism especially um you know a couple years after their their media is released and being like you know what this this piece of criticism that i'm receiving now uh, does apply and, and i'm glad you brought it up and I, I i do like that i am glad that we are able to have those kind of conversations we have that accessibility to authors um that because it, it does allow for you know if if everybody is is being cool right um you know, the, the, the counterpoint to this is um, fucking Andrew Drew Hussey, who, um, is, <laughs> if you listen to the Homestuck Made This World podcast, like still cannot, you know, even even 10 years after Homestuck came out, cannot adequately respond to criticisms of their media. Um, but like, I, it is kind of nice to to see authors um like making clear what their stance is on on various pieces of criticism, so long as they're, you know, not being weird about it. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, shout out Smith Shannon. Thank you for your cool books, and thank you for being chill and focused on growth. We love to see it. Um, it's it's admirable, I think, especially in the sense that um, I know for some sometimes I am afraid to show growth because by showing growth, you admit that you were once wrong, um, and it feels like a risk to do that sometimes uh, in the internet age. But um, I'm glad to see she does it very openly and that she limits her um, exposure to, like, she's not on Twitter. She's on Tumblr, which is a much nicer platform um, if, you know, if you curate your audience correctly, which I think she has. Um, you know, even, like, SA Chakraborty is not really on Twitter as much anymore. And, and RF Quag is extremely on Twitter, but in a fun way. Um, and, you know, we've talked about those authors before. So, yeah, it's good. Um, I really, I, I am... I am sad you didn't you didn't enjoy this book as much, um, though I can I can see why you didn't, um, and I wish that um, I wish that w I, I hope that in the future we can find something uh, that throws around ideas this loosely that is maybe um, written by um, a more experienced or like a more mature author just so we can kind of get a, a taste of something just fresh and and cool and uh, funky um, that. Um, doesn't warrant a discussion of, you know, uh, a 19-year-old's internalized misogyny. Um, yeah, which... like, uh, the, the book that I'm most comparing this to is Jade Legacy by uh, Fonda Lee, oh, which, right. like, <laughs> like it's, it is not a fair comparison, right? Fonda Lee's Jade Legacy is a book that was written by, you know, a mid-40s woman with, you know, several published books under, under her belt as opposed to, you know, poor Samantha Shannon who had, you know... Uh, this is like her first ever published book at the age of 19. So like, of course, you know, the, the you know, I think Fonda Lee on a technical level is the best, uh, you know, fantasy author currently, you know, on the market. So like, it's not a fair comparison. And I, I want to be clear, there are definitely aspects of this I liked. Like, I really want to see more Shaman King ass, like ghosts, using ghosts as like spirit energy. I think that's a really cool world building thing. Um, if they hadn't all been chunked together, I think I would have liked um, a lot of the ways that the the, the voyant stuff was deployed. Um, and then I do, I do kind of like the, you know, we're going to put, we're gonna do XCOM but with ghosts. I think that's really fun. Um, so like, I am coming down pretty hard on on this you know book in specific. But like, uh, you know, I'm not saying that this isn't a book you shouldn't read. I think this is a very interesting uh, book. And and like we've been saying, I'm it, it, I'm guarantee it, it's it'll you know be worth the payoff. I just the, one thing that I was floored to learn is that this is a part of a seven book series. And like, you know, we talked about this with one piece, but like Layla, can you think of anything that you would want to put, you know, probably, she's probably going to have written a million words in, in this series by the time, by the time she's done. And like, I cannot think of anything. I loved some of the stuff that I've written over the past couple of years. I can't think of something I'd like to write a million words about. Seven book series. And don't forget the two novellas don't count. Oh my Lord. Yeah, exactly. Seven seven main books in the series, and then she she released two novellas. When uh, the prequel that we mentioned earlier, and the the like fun. Well, I won't say fun. It's page recovering from some pretty intense torture. 
um, but the the kind of uh, domestic moment her and Warden get to have in France, I believe. Um, yeah, it's uh, uh, it's an interesting series, right? Because the first book is a, a prison break, the second book is a heist, um, the third book is. Her second book is a gang war. One of them's a gang war, one of them's a heist. I'm getting them mixed up in my head. But each book has, like, a fun new thing that it does, and, and I, I like that a lot. But, no, I can't imagine committing to to something so hard. Um, and I admire that. I My brain is too small and too smooth to do anything like that. Same thing with Priory, because she talks about uh, her Priory series um, on her Tumblr, which I will link in the description. Um, but, you know, she's saying that she made this 740-some-odd-page book, and... Um, now she's going to be working backwards in time and then eventually, like, the Priory characters will make, like, a reappearance. I'm like, that's insane. That is unhinged. I cannot believe you are committing. I'm glad you are because I like the series, but holy shit, that's so much power. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't be tasked with that level of responsibility. No, that's, that's wild. And, you know, I do, I do wish her all the best because that's tough. That is tough to be able to take characters that you, you know been working with i guess you know it's been nine years since bone season was published i can't imagine like being taking those characters over the course of nine years and just being like i have to say something new about them <laughs> like they have to go through some sort of character arc here um and you know maybe i would like to to see how you do that over the course of seven books and see how you you make your characters incrementally change and warp and turn into different people um especially once you get that level of experience of just like being under deadline for for like a decade and a half and and like constantly having to produce that stuff um you know i hope she, that she's doing it in a healthy and and in a safe way um but like yeah i think it would be really fascinating to see you know the maneuvers you have to make i guess the problem is that, like, uh, Harry Potter is my only touchstone for a series that I've read seven books in, <laughs> and, you know, that, eh, it's, it's, the well's been poisoned, so it's very difficult, it's very difficult to make those kind of comparisons. On that note, I have any more thoughts? No, I mean, I think we've already hit, like, an hour of talking, which is which is always kind of what happens here in Mortified is that uh, we go, uh, we didn't really like this media. Let's talk a lot about why. Um, and I <laughs> okay, think that's you great. You didn't like this one. I am uh, I'm that's over here true. in my fan corner. That's true. That's fair. But I think that happens a lot. That happened with Undertale. That happened with, um, um, I don't know. I, I'm sure it's happened before. But um, yeah. Um, the, uh, and also, listeners, sorry we, we missed last week. Uh, the reason <laughs> that we missed last week was that I wanted, I, I heard the song Muppet or a Man, and I was like, oh, wow, the Muppets 2011 is just like a really in-depth analysis of, you know, what it means to be biracial in America in, in the early 2010s. And it was just about the Muppets. Good <laughs> movie, though. It was a fun movie. We, you wouldn't have got this level of analysis, I don't think. No, I, the the conversation we had in thirty seconds was about the level of analysis you would have got. Yeah, yeah. So that's what we missed last week. You know, sorry, we're usually pretty consistent. Um, but uh, I hope that this this conversation, um, you know, was, was the kind of stuff that you come to mortified for. So with that, mm -hmm. um, Layla, when we are not um, trying to uh, either extract media analysis out of extremely shallow properties or uh extracting a lot of analysis out of properties that are not shallow but are complicated and maybe sometimes uh really really had to have a struggling reaction to um you know, where can we be found on the internet uh, you can find me at L-E-Y-L-S-E-S -E -E on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. I just wrote an essay. Um, I think I wrote two essays in the time that since we last talked. Um, one was called uh, You Wrote It Gay Too, How to Write It Less Gay. That one's self-explanatory. I talk about um, uh, writing compelling heterosexual romance through the lens of anime and season two of Love is Blind. Um, as you do. And then I wrote um, another one just now that's called Elden Ring is Full of Helpers. Um, because I'm 40 hours in Elden Ring and it is full of helpers. Um, and I wanted to talk about um, the co-op system and why I love it so much. Uh, what about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at AaronSXL, where I tweet about tabletop RPGs and health policy. Um, I guess since this came out, I wrote an essay about um, Godzilla versus Kong uh, and how you could use um, set pieces in your um, either your writing or your tabletop design um, but I, I just really like the set pieces in Godzilla vs. Kong, and I 
talked about why. Um, the day that this episode goes out, I will also have another tabletop review coming out uh, for the tabletop game Disc Masters by Ethan Reynolds. Um, definitely a very cool, very like Yu-Gi-Oh! Pokemon, uh, Digimon vibes. I really liked it. There is one big flaw, uh, which we'll, we'll, we'll I talk about in the video, but um, overall, overall, I really, really enjoyed reading that book. Um, again, again, a flawed piece of media with um, with a lot of stuff to dig into. So if you're if you're interested in tabletop games, check that out. Um, I am also on another podcast at the Bible boys with, uh, my friends, Josh and Michael, who are ex evangelical siblings. Uh, we will be talking about the, uh, HBO, his dark materials with, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda in it, uh, which is very funny. Uh, that episode should go up, uh, the Wednesday that this comes out. Um, but yeah, that's, those are all the places I can be found on the internet largely. Um, our, our theme song is Obsolete by Keshko from the album Filmmaker's Reference Kit Volume 2. You can find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com. Uh, Layla, how, how are we going to send our listeners out of Shield 1 this week? Go to hell, Aaron. I already exist on a level of hell. Then exist on one that isn't near me. <laughs> we'll see you all next week. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>